Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. So glad that you've decided to tune in today. Listen, I want you to check out this resource. It's a brand new book from my friends, Tim Lucas and Warren Bird. I think this is an ideal book for you in this season. I know you're looking for ways to train your team to push things forward. Uh, the chapter on teaching uh, I alone, chapter five, I think is worth the price of admission. What I want you to do is go to liquidchurchbook.com and there you'll see all kinds of free resources. In fact, they got a whole video course and all kinds of complimentary content for you. Uh, this book would be perfect for you in this post-COVID or intra-COVID season as you're looking to navigate change. Uh, it's really uh, packed full of practical advice from some industry-leading experts that you are going to want to get in the season to be a perfect tool for you uh, as you're leading. Again, that's liquidchurchbook.com. Uh, all right, let's tune into today's episode. Let's go. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further, faster? Have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary. Buckle up and let's get started with this week's Unseminary Podcast. Hey friends, happy Thursday. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Super glad that you've decided to tune in. Uh, you're going to love today's conversation. I think it's incredibly um, you know, timely, a good conversation for us to be thinking about just some good things that have been gone on in a church and learn, listening about, you know, change and change management. It's going to be a great conversation. Today, we have got John Hill with us from First Church. This is the very first First Church everywhere. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, Founded uh, in 1893, uh, Whitfield, Indiana. Uh, it's one of the fastest growing churches in the country. John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rich. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, an honor to get to speak to Unseminary. So, Oh, I'm so glad that you're uh, that you're tuned in, that you're here and willing to share with us. I think it's going to be great. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the church? Tell us about kind of how you intersect with the story, and um, yeah, give us a bit of a flavor of first. Yeah, so we were, you know, praying really hard about um, becoming a senior pastor somewhere. My wife and I had um, I worked at a church in Minnesota that had grown really quickly, and I was the executive pastor there. And I ended up getting um, diagnosed with a large cyst in my brain that was like the size of a grapefruit. And I just remember contemplating, you know, my life flipping burgers, looking, I lived on a river, looking out at the river, just thinking, I wonder if this is the last summer of my life. And uh, I knew my wife and kids would be, be fine. You know, she's a beautiful woman. She could bring a date to my funeral and uh, she'd be rich. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, and I just was absolutely oh, grieved. Gosh. I felt like I never got to do this thing that I've always wanted to do, which was to lead a church. So I just started, you know, I, at that moment, cause I had this great gig, you know, executive pastor, the church I was working at was growing, winning souls. I thought, you know, could I have more kingdom impact elsewhere? Probably not. Um, so that's why I was staying there. But then, you know, when that happened, it really kind of crystallized what I wanted to do. So we applied a bunch of places and ironically in 2014, um, we ended up, looking at this church called Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago. And at that time, there was an older senior pastor there who was um, getting ready to retire. And the position was a teaching pastor position and something else. I forget what, but it was sort of implied that you could, you know, maybe become the new senior pastor there. I remember I interviewed at Willow Creek one weekend and the following weekend, I interviewed at this rural church in DeMott, Indiana. Who's ever heard of that? It is super rural population, 3,400. And it couldn't be a bigger juxtaposition, Rich. And I right. totally thought I wanted to go to Willow Creek. And I came here, mm -hmm. and I remember I just saw God in this church. And it was a dying hmm. church. They had like 200 
very dedicated people, but they shrunk over the last 20 years from 700 down to 200. And, uh, you know, just a Dutch Reformed church with really big hearted people um, who wanted really badly to reach people far from God. And I told my wife, I said, man, even I, this is what we're going to do. And it was so crazy because we came in expecting not to do it. But uh, we ended up taking that position and uh, we started in the fall of 2014, I think it was. And um, man, the church was just so open to the gospel. They'd never done like an invitation to receive Christ. I know you have a lot of different kinds of listeners. Maybe some people Mm -hmm. um, don't do it that way. But, um, you know, we just started inviting people to respond to the gospel. And, you know, so many people in the church who had been there for a long time, like responded saying, you know what, like, I never knew it was about a relationship with Jesus, you know, um, things like that. And really kind of an authentic eye-opening experience. My wife and I use a book called Share Jesus Without Fear by William Fay and Linda Evans Shepard about sharing Jesus. We just started teaching the church, like, this is how you can share your faith. And uh, the whole church really kind of latched onto that. And people started, you know, bringing their friends to church, but then afterwards um, having a faith conversation with them, leading them to Jesus. And uh, that's where a lot of the conversions kind of started happening um, in the community. And, uh, so that was really cool. You know, Kristen and I were a little disappointed cause we like leading people to Jesus, but you know, the church started doing it <laughs> and yeah. And, uh, it was just really cool to, to watch it happen. And, uh, the church, you know, we kind of switched over from, you know, we had like a uh, pipe organ prelude and sort of a blended service and stuff. And we switched over to uh, a lot more contemporary. They'd already started down that road and they had a heart to do that. They just didn't know how. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, so that's the part I'd love to t- hear a little bit more. So kind of um, before we dive into how we went through some of those changes, maybe draw some of the comparisons where things were uh, when you were, you know, when you you started in t- 2014 to today, what were, what are some of those compare and contrast differences that you've seen, uh, you know, over the years? As far as like style of worship and community? Yeah, maybe style or changes to the church, that kind of thing that have happened over the last, you know, number of years. Yeah, I mean, obviously we had we we have built a new building since then. We were in an old building about five miles down the road, and it was uh, you know pretty traditional building, pipe organ falling apart, um, smelt terrible and musty. You know, mailboxes inside the building that was a big thing. You know, like hey guys, these mailboxes yes. basically say you don't belong here every time you walk in the door if right. you're a guest because you yes. don't have one. You know, I mean, getting rid of those yeah. mailboxes was sort of a big thing. But you know, it was just kind of like lots and lots of every sermon I wrote. I put a little vision casting piece at the start and in the middle and in the end about just various mm. little things in the deal. And, you know, it'd always be a, a message, but I remember I worked really hard to always work in a little thing about, Hey, here's why we're making this change. Here's why we're making this change. Here's why we're doing this. Every single message, every single week had that. And, you know, we never like, there had been a lot of conflict in the church before I got there. Maybe it had been taken care of by the time I got there, but I think, you know, in the whole time I've been here, really, we probably had, I don't know, five families leave. Um, hmm. and, uh, it's just a lot of unity and excitement behind, you know, the whole thing. Cause obviously we've grown probably tenfold or, or more since then, you know, so there've been some families leaving, but many more coming and, and I call them the original 200 have mostly remained and, and become more excited about this. But initially, you know, um, I probably had, I don't know, at least one or two people in my office every day wanting to complain about something. And I just listened to them and, and talk to them and tell them how much I cared about them and how grateful I was that they, you know, point out some things and make it known that I understood what they were saying and explain that I too wish that we could sing hymns every day. Cause they're my favorite. And, you know, I don't like modern contemporary worship music, but I also understand that 
you know, people far from God don't like hymns. And like, I can't stand in the shadow of bloodstained cross and say, I'm unwilling to put aside my musical preference to continue to fill, mm-hmm. fulfill the great commission. I think they got it. You know, they found that really convicting and, and, uh, you know, they were just, they were just so humble and willing to listen. Cause you know, remember everybody's older than me at the time, you know, I was 29 years old yep. and, and they were looking at, and I'm, you know, an Asian dude, I look super, super young. You know, I, I, I showed up to do a wedding the other day and this guy looks at me, he goes, is that the minister? Is he an adult? Did his mom <laughs> drop him off? Oh, come on. I said, come on, man. <laughs> I'm a grown man. But yeah, Rich. So, I mean, it was, it was oh, really gosh. cool. The congregation was easily shepherded and, uh, I felt like they were really open, but I, it just came down to me being willing to listen and, you know, mm-hmm. to apologize and kiss some shoes and, you know, it was really good. So. Yeah, let's dive into that. What you know, so I think there's a lot of church leaders that are listening in who are on the um, you know the church organ smelly carpet side of the equation and are you know have the dream and the vision for like wow maybe God wants to do something different in this ministry in the next ten years. Um, what you know what were some of those things when you look back on it? You're like, hey, th- these were some steps we went through. Here are some of the things we learned through this change process uh, as we've seen things change and then ultimately just seen the impact. Like you say, uh, you know, just scale and grow, which is incredible. I, I mean, I think the big thing is you have to justify the great commit. You have to say is the principal act of obedience and worship of God living out Mm. the great commission. Okay. Mm. And I would say that the answer is yes. Like I believe that to the core of my being, like that's how we show our love for God and play. It's not singing songs. It's not doing hymns. It's, it's not just tithing. It is, is the, the end result of what we're doing with all of our hearts resulting in the great commission effectively being lived out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like helping people see that this Mm -hmm. is the desire and then say, um, if we want to reach people that we're not reaching, then we need to do things that we're not currently doing. I've heard people say that differently, say, you know, if we want to reach people no one else is reaching, then we need to do things no one else is doing. I think we're kind of beyond that as a church. Lots of people are doing radical things to reach people far from God. But for us as a church in this locality, we are not reaching people effectively. Right. You know, and, wow. and one of the big things we always talked about, Rich, is I said, you know, our church used to speak Dutch, right? That was, it was mm-hmm. a Dutch Reformed church. And I said- right. Most of the people there remembered when it still spoke in Dutch. You know, they were that old. And I said, do you remember your parents dying to themselves and putting aside their native language so that you could hear the gospel in a language you would understand? And like every generation, our vision statement is generation after generation, you know, and that's what we made when Chris and I got here because we thought it'd be a good vehicle to take us there. But I said, and they understood duty. You know what I mean? Like the baby boomers and, and older, the greatest, they understood duty. I said, you know, you haven't done your duty. You know, you're, you have not put aside your preferences to reach the next generation. And because of that, they are going to spend an eternity separated from God because of your unwillingness to serve them. And I think that that's a pretty big deal because they're your own kids and you're unwilling, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not going to, I mean, again, your parents put aside their preferences and died to themselves and brought in the instrument from the bars, the instrument of debauchery called the piano, because you loved it. And you can't let someone bring in a little electric guitar and, and play on Sunday, like, you know, and, and I said, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. I hate the electric guitar. I think it sounds stupid. But if that's what it takes to see my kids filled with life in Christ, I'm willing to listen to an instrument that sounds like screeching metal to me. That's fine. I don't care. You know, and they got it. Yeah. They got it. You know. Yeah, I love that. Well, and I think you're, you know, you led them to that point, right, of being, oh, yeah. you know, just clearly articulating, hey, this is a big deal. This is not. Or were there other, were there any kind of through the th- those early kind of days when you're kind of laying the foundation um, and you're articulating, hey, we we need to make these changes. 
uh, because if we don't, you know, we're not going to be able to reach people. Um, were there any kind of particular moments that were were like watershed, or was it really just like you said, it was just repeating, coming back to it time and again in in the message, continuing to kind of keep that in front of people? Was it was it uh, punctuated, or was it kind of a slow drip through uh, you know through many years? Well, I think with every person, there's a watershed moment where we die to ourselves, mm-hmm. and I think. You know, I, I really feel like come to Jesus moments happen over and over again for us, you know, in different areas of our life is, you know, you know, the old song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, where he says, morning by morning, new mercies I see, right? Chisholm wrote that line. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I think that for each person, as you see a new area that God's been giving you mercy, and I think for each person in our church, they began to realize, wow, I've been rebelling against God's plan for my life regarding reaching the next generation, you know, they had that epiphany in a different moment. And I would say another thing, Rich, is, you know, there's only 200 people in the church. So my wife and I just made an effort to have every family over to our house for dinner, you know, at least once or twice a year. Um, and that makes it a lot harder to gossip. And then we always address it too. Like if somebody, if I heard about gossip, you know, I would immediately call that family into my office and I would just say, Hey, you know, like, this is what I heard someone said that you said about, you know, this, and I just want to apologize to you for not being uh, an approachable leader. And I understand that I can be intimidating. Will you forgive me for not being humble enough? I want you to be able to say that to my face. And I know that obviously I've made you so uncomfortable that you can't, can you please tell that to me so I can address it? You know, and they would totally receive it. Oh, pastor, I'm so sorry. Da, da, da. And it's like, no, I'm sorry. You know, obviously I'm intimidating and yeah, you know, that's good. I want, I want your forgiveness because I love you and I want to be in this community together. And obviously you're hurting over this, you know, you're sharing that with other people. What can I do to fix it? Oh, well, I wish you could do this. And then, oh man, that's such a great idea. I never thought of that. I can't do all of that, but what if we did this? You know, oh, okay, that sounds great. You know, and I just, I bargained with what I could with every person to basically get them to, you know, buy into what it was we were trying to do together. And I think, right, move closer. And I think, but the traditional leader is always like, well, you're for me or you're against me and you're either with me or you're not. I think yeah. everybody can be brought, almost everybody. You know, we, I had one guy say, you know, because you're not, basically because you're not white. I don't want to work with you. And they left the church and there, wow. that was a no win scenario. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing right. I could do yeah, with yeah. that dude, oh but God. that's no big deal. You know, I pray for him. I still see him in town and you know, he doesn't like me too much, but that's the, the joy of a small wow. town. But, um, yeah. you know, for everyone else, like they just want to be valued. They want to be heard. And once they're heard and you tell them that, yeah, you know, I see your perspective and I agree with parts. I, I can honestly say, you know, I really do agree with a lot of it. Then they come with me. You know, now we have issues with, Hey, you know, we have, you know, and, and, and I always say we're gay welcoming, welcoming, but not affirming. Uh, but we have lots of issues with gay couples. We have a couple of trans people that come to our church and they're like, well, what, what's with that? And I say, well, do we believe that no one's perfect and everyone's welcome or not? You know, you're okay with unmarried couples who are living together, coming to our church, you know, and that's kind of the new thing, you know, obviously do we really say that we disagree with the sin, but we love the sinner then <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So it's always just a new, it's always a new level of, of, of deals with everyone, you know? So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that was so. First of all, that there was some great. There was a lot packed in there. It was like a masterclass in conflict. Um, I, I can imagine through, uh, you know, through this, you've you've had, um, you know, some some other conflict that's come up. That's kind of, um, you know, where people have pushed back. What else, whether are there kind of ways that you think about conflict or kind of framework that you work through when you think, hey, there's there seems to be some opposition happening in this change or that change. Um, how, how have you gone about? trying to lead your people through that experience? Well, I think that as a leader of the church, the number one, like the number one of a small church that's trying to make change, 
And I still consider us a pretty small church. I mean, I, I wouldn't consider us, you know, one of the large churches until we're at 2000 and we're close, but well, and who knows where we are now, but, um, mm-hmm. but I still think that as the senior leader, I can personally address the center of almost every conflict that I hear that rises up. Does that make sense? Mm. And it just yep, doesn't yep. matter what it is. It, I can spend a 30 minute phone call a couple times a week calling someone and caring for them. You know what I mean? Um, and by caring for them, I mean like dealing with whatever the issue is. And I mean, the, the issues are endless. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like I heard you quote Stephen Furtick the other day and I don't like that. You know what I mean? Or the other day it was like, I think that Donald Trump is Hitler and you need to address this and you're not. And I feel like you're not taking action, which I can't do. That would be a bloodbath here. We live in the reddest state in the world. There are people who, you know, some people who think he's Hitler, some people think he's Jesus's brother. You know what I mean? Um, and so like navigating those things together. Um, yeah. I mean, we just, we have to address that and talk to people about majoring on majors, minoring on minors. The the big description I've always used for our church is trees. And I, I know I didn't come up with this. Someone else came up with it, but you know, there are limb issues, leaf issues and, and trunk issues. You know, a trunk issue is Jesus is, is God in the flesh. Okay. Like you can't compromise that or you're not a Christian. You know, a limb issue is sex before marriage. That's sinful. That's wrong. You know, mm-hmm. there's grace for that, but it's not right. And then there's leaf issues, you know, in our, in our church, a leaf issue is infant baptism. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we have yep, a tradition yep. of infant baptism, but like we have a big tent and you know, like there's differences of opinion here about that. So, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, I think it's a good framework and a good way to even work through, hey, how do we, you know, there's a little bit of, you can't die on every hill here. You know, we can't, there's a lot of different things we're trying to push through. Um, now we're, we're recording this here in the middle of April and, you know, your churches, you know, every church has been impacted obviously by coronavirus. Um, what impact are you seeing uh, you know, you're, you're a changing, growing church uh, that now has been thrown into a, you know, uncertain, volatile scenario. Uh, you know, what impact has that had on your uh, ministry these days? I, I mean, the impacts can't be overstated. Like it's been mm-hmm. certainly the biggest challenge that I've faced in, you know, 15 years of ministry. I mean, it's a, yep. it's a huge crisis. I think that the most stressful time of my life up to this point were the two capital campaigns that I led to, to fundraise money to build our two buildings. And, uh, you know, we built this building here. That's a 720 seater and it was a, you know, multi-million dollar project. And then I just started another project up North to build another building. And we're halfway into that project. It's half built. We've received half the funds and now we're, it looks like we're headed into a potential depression, you know, so it's downturn. Yeah. Downturn. You know, I mean, who knows if it's V shaped, U shaped, L shaped, uh, but there's a lot of concern about that. And, uh, you know, we've, I think that as a, as a leader, it's been a real challenge to lead out of strength when I feel a lot of fear, stress, and anxiety. And, Mm. uh, Rich, I don't know about you, but, um, my, I, I have always felt like everything I've worked to build is going to come crumbling down around me tomorrow. You know what I mean? And, (laughs) uh, it's always been like, I am about to be a failure, you know, and that's something that's just a personal thing for me. But um, I want to say that a love for the Lord is what drives me. But I think a lot of times it's a fear of failure. And mm-hmm. I think that um, in this in this particular context, it has been a, a big challenge daily to wake up and say, I will be a beacon of light, hope and strength for our staff and for our church, mm-hmm. even though I don't mm-hmm. feel like it. Does that make sense? Right. And I'm oh, going to absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that that's that's I think that's a good word. I wonder if how are you balancing that off with then because you know you have some pragmatic um, issues, obviously, right? You've got uh, you know the borrower slave to lender issues. I'm assuming on the building projects, you've got you know uh, you know financial pressures weighing in. How are you? Um, managing the kind of pragmatic side and the kind of keep the team together, push forward. How is that working uh, today for you? Well, uh, you know, um, we were, uh, we secured the SBA loan, so I can't lay anyone off until June 30th. Not that it's a race to do that, but we basically in taking that loan made a decision not to do that. And uh, that was a big deal for us as a church. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think that with our building in, in it's, it's a town called Hebron next to us. We bought an old grocery store and it'll be like kind of quality to our current building. And, you know, we were excited about that. We were going to need it. It was perfect. But, you know, um, today, yesterday, April 16th, um, president Trump just released the three phases of opening the country. Um, mm-hmm. and it looks like for churches, you know, there's going to be, um, the ability to have services of 50 or less you know, um, relatively, you know, sometime midsummer, maybe in the fall, who knows. Um, but we're all of a sudden, you know, we were thinking about pausing that project, delaying that project, stopping that project, you know, because while we had pledges for the whole thing to do it debt-free, it looks like we might have to hold our bridge loan for longer than we thought. And now it's like, man, thank God, because instead of, you know, hosting 10 services where we could service, you know, less than a third of our church with 50 people at each service, now we can host 20 services and service two thirds of the church you know, and uh, we have an online reservation system that we've already, um, you know, talked with our web developer about. And so we can do that mm-hmm. where they can make reservations for a specific service and amount of people. And we can set up chairs ahead of time. And uh, it looks like if in that scenario, we would do two services on Friday, two services on Saturday, six on Sunday, um, an hour apart, you know, and mm-hmm. I think we mm-hmm. can do it. But uh, that's kind of where we're at, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I do think, um, you know, multi-site churches, and I don't, I don't, well, I haven't said this publicly just in the coaching and consulting stuff I've been doing is I do think we're, I'm more bullish on multi-site now than I was. I've always been bullish on it, but I'm more bullish on it now in this environment because it does give us the opportunity to exactly Rich, the just, math you just went through there, uh, is the math is the math that we're all facing. So, um, I do think that's, you know, is a fantastic thing. Um, so encouraged, uh, about that. That's, uh, you know, that's great. Have you, as you've been leading with your staff through this environment, has there been anything, um, that, you know, that you feel like you've learned from the change that you've been through in the last five, six years that you've applied to how you're leading in this season with the changes that you're experiencing that are now, albeit these are being being forced in from the outside, uh, but are, are you seeing any kind of parallels between those two? Well, I think that relationships and morale with your core team is really important, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, my wife and I used to have the staff over once a week for dinner. Um, Mm -hmm. and obviously now we can't do that. So maintaining relationships with them has just been a really big deal. And, you know, we have a young staff, I'm 34 and I'm by far the oldest person, you know, on our staff team, on our paid staff team. And, uh, so like they say that with millennials and Gen Zers, you know, you spend more time talking about feelings than you do about work. And that's actually a hundred percent true, you know, and in COVID-19, like, I feel like I've become a big counselor for, you know, my anxiety and my feelings and my fears and whatever. I spent a lot of time listening because I know if they're going to produce a great product, you know, for the church and and I need them to perform at their best, like I need to make sure that they're managing their feelings. Okay. And a lot of them, you know, Mm -hmm. are just now developing the capacity to do that, you know? Mm 
So, I mean, we have two staff members that are, that are 19, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, they're some of our critical, one of them is our, one of our video guys and he's amazing, but you know, I need him performing at a high level, you know? So, right. Yeah. Right. Fascinating. Um, well, you know, I think this is a incredible story just of, you know, what God's done in your church and the, you know, amazing growth that's happened and continued to, um, you know, continue to write. I'm excited to see what happens. I know obviously there'll be some tight days ahead, but I'm excited to see kind of what happens to first, uh, going forward. Now, um, one of the things you'd provide us for was a, a, uh, a staff evaluation form. It's like a practical tool that you've used as you've kind of, uh, been engaging with your team. Can you tell us a little bit about this tool? How do you use it? When, what does it look like? You know, how do those conversations work? That kind of thing, obviously turning the corner into a, into a different conversation, but uh, tell us a little bit about what that looks like for your team. Yeah, that's been a really core benchmark of what we have. We have a high level of feedback and, you know, we, everybody who comes here says, wow, this is, you know, working on staff here. There's an intense amount of feedback for everything. And, you know, as you know, I'm a highly confrontational person. We've been talking about that, but, um, yeah, I mean, we use a, a staff evaluation form that was given to us by um, actually a company that my wife worked for called Octane Fitness mm-hmm. back in the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought it was a really great tool for evaluating and incentivizing staff members. And uh, it evaluates, um, there's three different areas, but there's about 30 different feedback, you know, scale one to five deals, five being the best, one being the worst. And then um, there's a rubric that we use uh, to evaluate whether or not they're going to get a raise or whether they're going to, you know, not get a raise or they're going to go on probation or whether we're going to terminate our relationship with them. And uh, that's been really healthy because, you know, we look at that throughout the year, we have a mid-year check and then an end of year check. And a lot of times I'll pull out that tool, you know, weekly, you know, if not monthly, especially because they have custom goals in each area for their position. And I don't have as many people that report to me as I used to, cause we've been, you know, changing our structure, but, um, you know, I will look at their individual goals and say, Hey, just so you know, you know, you are failing to meet basic success benchmarks for this goal right here. And I want to see improvement, you know, um, for you and for the church. Uh, and this is what that would look like. And it's just been really helpful. Most of our staff, you know, gives really high feedback when we do 360 reviews about, um, working here and they love it. And, and at first, a lot of them, you know, there's a lot of tears cause they've never like failed at anything before in their life. Um, but you know, in time they, they've really, really loved it and I've really loved it. And, uh, you know, we've never had to, to terminate someone who didn't see it coming. You know, they always know, and typically mm-hmm. it's been pretty mutual and really, really good. And, um, our staff really loves each other. And I think it's because we're able to have authentic, open communication. Right. Actually talk about the issues rather than avoid them. I think that's a great model for people and an encouragement for church leaders that are listening in that, you know, we, we want to create a systematic, regular way to give feedback to, uh, to leaders. And it's not just about trying to capture people who aren't doing a good job. It's people on the other end of the spectrum who are performing well. You need to reach out to them and say, Hey, you're doing a good job in this. Cause there are oftentimes I found those performers that are, it's unclear in their mind. Is this, is right. this working or not? Uh, and so having a way to formalize that is great. Now you do the kind of formal evaluation a couple times a year. Um, is that like a, like every six months you kind of pull that together? Is that, is that what that looks like? So a lot of, a lot of the review system is based on their personality, like social skills, um, emotional Mm -hmm. intelligence. It's a big deal. I mean, I really want this to be a place I love working with. And so if we Mm -hmm. have people who have a low emotional intelligence, I want to make sure they know about it. Um, so that is pulled out, you know, twice a year, but then their custom position goals. I actually, um, I give, 
you know, certainly monthly, if not weekly updates on how they're performing on those. And I, I'll mm-hmm. print them off and put them at their desk because <laughs> I want them to see okay. this is what a win looks like in your area. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. and, and I just, I think that's really important. We'll pull those out all, all the time. And, uh, definitely, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of positive reinforcement that happens, uh, much more so than negative. Um, cause I think right. that, uh, at least it, I always, I think carrots work better than sticks, but, um, as far as motivating people, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's what we've done. And, and it, it seems to work really well. Um, we use, uh, in hiring something that's been really helpful for us. We use something called the Kersey skills profiler from mm-hmm. HR direct. Uh, I think Craig Rochelle recommended it, um, and we have just found that to be really helpful. And then he also recommended the see that the can do attitude. And it sounds really stupid. And when I took the test, I thought it was really dumb. And man, it has been amazing, an amazing predictor of somebody's attitude when we hire people. Rich, like it's like it's like prophetic. So, yeah, that's great. That's good. Yeah, we'll put links to all of that in the show notes so you can uh, chase that down. You know, one of the things we see pretty commonly among among um, you know, growing churches is really the function of building a strong, healthy team that performs well is core to a growing church that at the end of the day, you know, you've, you've got to pay attention to that. It's not, it's not just about what do you do in services? You've got to, you know, make sure that the people that you're gathering around you to push the mission forward, uh, critically important piece of, uh, the puzzle, John, I've really enjoyed this uh, conversation today. Is there anything else you would like to share, uh, just as we kind of wrap up today's, uh, call? Yeah, there actually is. I, you know, and I enjoyed it too. It's been an honor, but I just want to say to pastors who want to change a church, I don't think I'm that smart of a guy. I don't think I'm that great of a preacher, but I do think that the one thing God has put on my heart is if you want to do something, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Like you need to go as hard as you can swing as hard as you can. I think that for a lot of people, burnout is, is just an excuse of, I don't know what to do. Like I, I just want to challenge pastors. Like we are I want to see a national revival happen. And I think that we have the opportunity to do that. And I want to challenge pastors to swing as hard as you can at this, you know, to Mm, wake up early, to stay up later, to not get distracted, to make the phone calls, to do the things you don't want to do first, to call the people to deal with the conflict. I mean, I don't think that what I did here was super hard. I just, Mm -hmm. I think that so many people could do it. I just think that, you know, it requires doing things you don't want to do every single day. Um, because we love Jesus and he's worth it, you know, and, uh, it's been the great joy of my lifetime in hindsight, though, in the moment I felt miserable a lot. That's a, I think that's a really good word. You know, I I was talking to a leader earlier this week who, um, we were reflecting on a similar issue and, you know, I said, one of the, one of my convictions between having led in multiple churches that have grown quickly and then been around a lot of church leaders who have led in those environments, um, you know, the, a, a big part, one of the big differences between churches that are impacting and making a difference and um, getting it done is they're led by people who are, uh, who, who are passionate, are driven, who will um, do the work, like you say, get up early, stay late, push forward, you know, figure out what needs to be done next and actually do it. Um, and, and, you know, that's not saying that churches that are struggling aren't led by those people, but there is a high correlation to people, those churches that are pushing forward, having those kinds of leaders in, in the, um, you know, in the driver's seat. So I, I really appreciate John, you being on the show today. If people want to track with you or with the church, uh, how can they do that? Where should we send them? Well, we have the literal best website URL domain name in the world. It's, <laughs> it's true. F I R S T first dot church. 
And uh, I stayed yes. up till like two in the morning when those opened up <laughs> on the West Coast, the dot church endings. And I bought that and I had like yes. six other tabs open because I wanted to buy Grace and other stuff. And I thought, oh, I'll make the church money. I'll sell them. But I only got first by the grace of God. And uh, you know what? That's, yeah, first.church is our domain name. So you can check us out there. Great. That's great. John, I appreciate you being on the show today. Thanks so much, man. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Don't be shy. We'd love to connect. Check out Unseminary Inbox. You can sign up at unseminary.com and we'll send you helpful training resources every week. Plus, you'll gain immediate access to our exclusive members area with tons of resources you can use. Connect with Rich on Twitter at Rich Birch or through email rich at unseminary.com Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at unseminary.com It includes links to what we talked about today and more. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Did you enjoy today's episode? Drop by iTunes and leave a review. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Join us next week when we'll learn more stuff we wish they taught in seminary.